Hi, everyone. This episode had been recorded before we knew that Mitchell Miller had been cut by the Arizona Coyotes, so keep that in mind as you're listening. Anyways, I hope you enjoy the show. This particular episode of our show is very, very important. It's probably the most important episode we've done, and it talks about a subject that a lot of us don't really want to address. So, as you're listening to this episode, I want you to keep an open mind. I want you to remember that I am a minority. So is Salim Valji, who was our guest this week. And Adam and Marco, they do their absolute best to explain the situation and to understand and to create empathy around our game. Racism really has no place in our sport. It has no place in our society. So this is a very tough conversation that we're having to have and a conversation that keeps, unfortunately, repeating inside of our news cycles when it comes to the game on ice. So with that being said, I do want to warn you that this is a very serious conversation that we take seriously. And you won't find the usual jokes and banter that we usually have. It's a much more in-depth conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you learn something from it. There are resources available online. All you need to do is Google them, and you will be happily rewarded with hundreds, if not thousands of people and organizations who want to make this world a better place, not just in our sport, but in our whole world. And I encourage you to reach out to those organizations if you feel so obliged. That being said, let's get started with the show. This is the Hockey Flow. It's a great show that brings you the best on the ice, and I am proud to bring in the best of the best, and that is, of course, Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico. You can find their work at, uh, well, basically anywhere you want, but let's start off with Twitter. You can find Adam's work at ReallyAdamB, and of course, Marco you can find at The Hockey Expert, and of course, his amazing blog, scrimmagesstats.com, and of course, me, you can't find on social media, but you can find the remnants of our, our show at The Hockey Flow, so that's D-A-H-O-C-K-E-Y-F-L-O-W on Twitter. But who cares about all that? We have an amazing guest with us today. Uh, he's got breaking news, as always, but he can't always share all the breaking news, but you'll find out more about him as he goes along. But we wanted him to talk about some crazy stories that have happened in the NHL. So we've brought him back, our first recurring guest, and hopefully you won't be a stranger afterwards with your new position, sir, which we can't talk about as yet. But Mr. Salim Nadim Valji. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back, Mr. Salim Valji. Salim Valji can be found on Twitter at S A L I M V A L J I on Twitter. And of course, you can find all of his work in the best of publications, including the New York Times, the Globe and Mail. Uh, what other places have you worked for, Salim? Because <laughs> I'm black. I legit right now. told my dad that I knew that guy when I sent him the New York Times article that he posted. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, man. Uh, I've written puns for TSN since 2017 for the Habs regional broadcasts. Um, we're also written for the Canadian press, you know, everything that, uh, you know, you just, you're a freelancer, you're working contracts. So you just try to get as many as you can under your belt. And here we are. Here we are, or here you go, because you are off to a, a lucrative gig out West in Calgary, which we can't talk about as yet, but will soon come to light by the time this episode uh, airs, maybe we'll find out if not, you... You, I'd assume at this point, it's funny. I was thinking right now, this is given what's, uh, my new position and I'll have to ask for permission to do things that normally I would say yes to. And it seems as if it's just a formality. Hey, I'm going to appear on this pod podcast or I'm going to be doing this, but this is for my last, uh, last ever show where I don't have to ask for any permission. You don't have any, no editorial controls yet. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that stuff's formalities, but 
Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a change in many aspects coming up for me in the next few weeks. So. We're, we're looking forward to uh, announcing and proudly saying we we knew you when. But uh, until like then, the fact that we have loopholes going on, like like this is the last time where I won't have to like get permission to do this. It's almost like where you're going will require some form of like content control and editorial uh, naysay when. I don't know if it's that. It's just, it's the type of position that is quite visible. So, um, we're going to get to see more of you, though? Yeah. I'm so Not down. More in, in different ways. In different ways. So, uh, this is a G rated show. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, Salim has a new lucrative gig, which you will all wonderfully find out uh, very much. But you should all go to his uh, Twitter page, give him a follow because he's a good friend of the show. And more importantly, he's going to be a man about town. Uh, what town? We won't say, but it'll be a man about town. Uh, so, we wanted to bring you on Slim for a, a bunch of different reasons. One, because this is the last hurrah before you're, uh, you're, you're professionalized, I guess. Exclusivity. Even more so than usually. Exclusivity. That's, thank you. Uh, exclusivity is the term we're looking for. But, uh, there unfortunately is a story that you're you cover in this beat, and you really know unfortunately all too well, and that's racism in sport, but specifically in the sport that we love, which is hockey. And unfortunately, we had a terrible revelation this week as we found out about uh, the Arizona Coyotes and their first round draft pick. Uh, Adam Marco, do you guys want to take the first on this, or do you want to say? I, I think it was a fourth round draft pick. It was a fourth round. There yeah. was their first. I am wrong. Thank you. Arizona's first round pick uh, got went to New Jersey. No, no, yeah. no, that's next year, Adam. The no, sorry. first round pick this yeah, year was true. in the Taylor Hall draft, but uh, trade, it was but, yeah, it was their first pick of the draft, but a fourth rounder. So. Yeah, yeah, so damn, that's, that's true, why I screwed right? up. Sorry, their first pick of the draft. Oh my god! Imagine your first pick in the draft, and you have a new scouting team, and you're picking like outside of the top 100. Man, that must suck. And then you pick this guy. But just to tidbit this before we really get into it, I think I saw a a tweet from uh, Daliwal, which is one of the beat writers for the Vancouver uh, area, that said that the Canucks knew about him and he was on their no draft list specifically because they heard about this situation. So, uh, Salima, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm gonna let the experts speak on this because I've never been retweeted by Evander Kane. So I'm gonna let let you do this. Just before we do that, I want to add one thing. Also, elite prospects apparently took them off yeah. their board, which is yeah, why he's yeah, in yeah. none Cam of their, their coverage. This, actually, that was pretty big. And I think elite prospects had that story a couple of months ago before the AZ Central duo uh, got theirs published. So. Yeah, so that was Craig Harris and uh, Jose M. Romero, or it could be Jose Romero. Apologies, Mr. Romero. Uh, but anyway, that was the Arizona Republic, and that was in AZ Central, as Slim was saying, and that's where I'll let you take the story, Slim. Sure. Uh, lots of thoughts. Uh, obviously, I think it's important that it got out. And um, I tweeted a lot about it yesterday. And one of Mitchell's old teammates actually he sent me some Twitter DMs defending him yesterday. So that was quite the interesting exchange. And this teammate now plays at a prominent NCAA school. So there are clearly a lot of people that that are willing to back Mitchell Miller, including his USHL coach, who referred to him as someone who had a lot of character. Um, from the vantage point of the Coyotes, I I don't think it's tough to see their logic in the sense that you don't have any draft picks. This is a talented player that clearly has fallen. So you, you, you're 
prospect cupboard, Marco, you'd know this more than anyone in terms of the coyotes. It's very, very empty. And you, 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 you see where, what they're thinking in that sense. But when it comes to the sheer humanity of it, we all read the details. It's, it's graphic. Uh, one of you said that it was sociopathic and I, I, I said think, that I'll, I'll own up yeah. to that. That's sociopathic behavior. Yeah. It's look, it, it, worst case scenario, like, like that is what it is, but like that it'd be racism, sexual assault, any form of crime within the national hockey league, especially when it comes to the minor leagues and, and, and players in, in their youth, I think I feel like it's a sensitive subject that needs to be addressed. And I, I appreciate the work that Salim is putting into this because that's where it needs to be taught. It doesn't need to be taught when they're in the NHL, like Austin Watson no. with that, that, that battery issue or, or, or Kozlov with that battery issue. It needs to be taught when they're four, five, six, seven, eight. And there's, there's an interesting point there. At what age, is there an age where you have your beliefs and that's who you are from age X to, to 80, you know, and Mitchell Miller is what, 18 years old. He, you know, you wonder where someone acquires that behavior and is it possible to unteach that, you know, thinking of the fact that he used the N word probably dozens, if not hundreds of times during his life, the sheer acts that he made this poor victim Ishmael uh, do. And it's, it, you wonder, is, is it possible to rehabilitate someone who is that deeply entrenched in their, in their beliefs? So to just to, to bring this up to everyone who's kind of wondering what the delayed lead is on this and to actually know what the, the crux of this is, there was a player uh, by the name of... Mitchell Miller. Who grew up in Sylvania, uh, Ohio. And there was another player, Isaiah Meyer Crothers, who was black and unfortunately was heavily abused by Mr. Miller as a young a man growing up. For context, Mr. Meyer Crothers has a developmental disability where his mental capacity is around the age of 10 years old. And some of these, the, 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 the stunning revelations have been some, I'm going to give you just one of them. So essentially one incident was him tricking uh, the uh, the poor victim into licking a candy push pop that the he had put into a bathroom urinal, and it was such a bad situation that the, the poor victim had to be tested for hepatitis, for HIV, for other STDs. Luckily, the test came back negative. But this is the level that of the kind of person we're dealing with, and also he was constantly yelled brownie and the n word, and all while being hit, and also just you know growing up in a Toledo suburb. I mean, like, we are trying to teach the inclusivity of a sport here. We're trying to, and, and you can look at this through different levels in history, and we consistently have agents of change for that. You can go as far back as the 40s. You look at the 40s, this was an issue with French Canadians. You had Maurice Richard. You know, and then you have Will O'Reilly when it comes to the first black player to play in the NHL. And then you have a plethora of individuals that come into the NHL in the 90s or the 80s to the 90s uh, as the Iron Curtain goes up. And you have more Russians, Swedes, Finns coming into the league as well. This has consistently been met with resistance by the NHL, consistently, that it be talk shows like that of Don Cherry and his opinion on Russians and European players and their leadership capabilities, that it be um, the way that 
NHL GMs kind of look at the way that they evaluate young players or existing players, the whole notion of a Russian factor when it comes to drafting players today, to this day, I find that to be intrinsically related to ethnically charged presumptions on players that might not fit. This in, in the way that we're looking at is minor league play. This is when stuff like this should be quelled, should be disciplined, should be exposed. Uh, and it wasn't. It was only exposed when the limelight was on this player and he was drafted and he had everything to lose. And I have issues with that. For context, this kid had been bullying um, the, the poor victim for since second grade. Like that, 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 that is a long time to endure torment. Absolutely. Like, you know, dude, as an, as a, as a, as a sufferer of bullying myself, like I know how this works. I I've been there. I have been the, you know, for those that don't see me, I am, I am white, but I went to a French school and, and in that scenario, I was the other, right. As, as weird as that may sound to individuals that don't understand that concept in, in, in Quebec, the, the Italian is the other. And therefore, I understand that feeling. I understand how it is to be looked at as not part of the group and just trying to fit in. And therefore, having someone with a, a learning disability that's uh, a person of, of, of color it, and trying to play a sport that is predominantly owned and, and played by, by white folks, you are starting at a disadvantage and you are consistently uh, met with obstacles. So here we are three months removed from the NHL's, you know, makeshift ceremonies for inclusion. And we have a story like this. I am not worried about what the individual did. All I care about now is what are you going to do about it? I feel like a lot of society is, is very focused on what happened and then tagging the individual for the rest of their lives. But I feel like, and, 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 and really like, this is what the process is about. It's about learning. It's about growing and it's about making sure that no kid makes the same mistake you did. So what is the league? What are the coyotes and what is this individual going to do about it? That's what I want to know. Well, we do know what he did, he did about it. He didn't write a letter to the family. He wrote a letter to every single NHL team to make sure that he showed contrition. You know, like that. This is this is the problem, and why I'm happy to use the term sociopathic, Mister Miller. That's what I think. I can write a letter, AJ. Like you can pay me fifty bucks, I'll write you a letter. Like that doesn't mean anything. That's, that's where that's where the issue lies, right? Is it? Did he learn from his actions and? Let's let's um, someone tweeted something really important the other yesterday that the victim's name should be said as well. And I think um, Isaiah Meyer Crothers, you know, he's he's a human being and what he went through was was horrific. And I think there is an issue as well. And we've seen this with Dale Talon. We've seen it with all sorts of hockey people who have been accused of things. The age gap between Dale Talon, I think, is over 65 um mitchell miller is is 18 what's the thing that they have in common is that they've de- devoted their lives to this sport and that they've gotten away with things because you know whether it's a refusal to do a background check or things being written off as oh that's 
just boys being boys or that's just the hockey culture. You know, Dale Town is accused of some pretty bad things he's said as well. Not remotely in the same level as what Miller's done, but there is an issue in the sport. I think that it, it attempts to cover up its own quite a bit. And that's where, that's where, you know, I, I think my role is really important because as a journalist, it's my job to hold the sport accountable. And I think far too many hockey journalists are too emotionally attached to the sport to do that. And we're seeing how in the NBA, in the NFL, in major league baseball, the people that cover those sports are generally a more diverse cast than the, what a national hockey league press box looks like. And if you think about the fact that some of the biggest stories that have come out of the league in the past couple of years are the creation of the hockey diversity Alliance. There's the Mitchell Miller bullying. And I'd probably put Eric Carlson and Mike Hoffman and the cyber bullying there. If you think about it, none of the reporters that covered those were professional hockey writer association members. Um, none of them were, were beat columnists. I broke the hockey diversity Alliance story um, with Rick Westhead for TSN, uh, me for the New York Times. Um, it was a, a crime report for the Ottawa Citizen who broke the Hoffman um, bullying story. And it was two very talented reporters who broke this Mitchell Miller story. So there's a lot of issues with hockey, but the way media covers it too, there has to be something that holds the sport to account. And right now, hockey doesn't have that. Well, I mean, I, there is... Listen, as somebody who works in journalism and often has a lot of critiques of journalism, I want to put something out here, though. I feel like a lot of sports journalists are not actually journalists. They're just stenographers for the team. And if you actually just watch the press conferences, if you watch them in their entirety, which I encourage any hockey fan to watch a couple of them to realize how crappy they are. And there's a reason for that. It's because NHL PR and PR from teams has drilled into them this very static style of questioning. And so you get the same kinds of answers just said with the same voices every single night. And they know they can control it in that manner. When you have these kinds of reporters that break the mold, there's a reason for that. It's because they're not tied to the same kinds of worry of having to make it into the actual PR press room. Right. That's that's a real factor I want to put out there. And I will I'll defend some people on that front. That being said, it is pretty horrifying that sports journalists and people who call themselves sports journalists are anything but like I said before, they're stenographers. If you're a stenographer, you're going to say what they want. I remember sitting down when I worked with George Lorac and really just kind of dealing with the notion of race in hockey. And I remember the first thing he told me when we met was, you know, as much as I lived at a time where it was a white man's game, it's opening up. And the reason it's opening up is because of quality journalism. And I feel like that's the key, right? Like, I feel people are talking about it. Podcasts evidently are talking about it. People online are talking about it. There is a forum for this at this point. There is a democratization of hockey going on right now that I feel is intrinsically beautiful. Like we have players of all origins, faith, color, you name it. Hockey is as diverse today as it has ever been. But it can get better by a lot. There are obvious economic, socioeconomic, political factors involved. Yes, but I feel like what's going on right now is we've opened the conversation. We've opened up the necessity for that conversation. We've put individuals 
on on pedestals to bring that conversation to the forefront. We look at the way that Matthew Dumba was kind of brought forward for that. Uh, Malcolm Subban was also kind of talked about for that, for the same thing. Uh, Dustin Bufflin has been very vocal about this in the past, a guy who, who played under Dale Talon. Uh, but then we also have the journalists, obviously like Salim, that are bringing this to the forefront. And I think that bringing that exposure will... F- intrinsically trickle down from an educational perspective or at least a nurturing perspective to bring about the necessary discussions. And and I want to bring this, and this is a fun story. I want to bring this to Adam and I don't want to put you on the spot, bud, but when we were together, I remember having this, this discussion on why Subban was such a polarizing player in the NHL And I felt like a lot of it initially had to do with race. And I remember having this this discussion because Montreal played Boston in the playoffs in 2014. And I specifically remember going to games and talking to Adam about this, about how he was received in Boston and the ways that, that, that people went about, I guess, heckling him. You can heckle a player in any way, shape or form, but to focus on race is lazy. And so, Adam, I remember having this discussion. I remember Adam's exact words were, if you have to stoop to that level, then you don't belong in this sport. So tell me, Adam, why don't they belong in this sport? Well, look, just to to back up what you all said before, I think the fact that quality journalism is is something that we have now in this world is and and this more in the sports is necessary because you see you see stories like that happening and we're what as we said months removed from the bl the whole blm movement and and it being the big topic in hockey during the playoffs and you see stuff like that happening and look it just doesn't have its place in sports in, in hockey and sports or just in the world uh, as for the the other discussion with the um, with you marco i don't remember the exact words i remember having it but i know look if if you have to go on and and put down a player because of race or because of any differences one can have it just doesn't have its place in sports look you have you're a pro athlete no one should no one should discriminate anyone for differences but when you're a pro athlete you're someone that people look up to and i feel like look if if there's the, the issue at that level you need you need to fix it and quite quick i think we've we've really established the notion that it needs to be fixed but i like aj i i feel like it's safe to bring salim on this to to the point what needs to be done at this point at least from the grassroots level and i'm talking not just in in the us like especially the mid to south us but within canada and all around the world at this point like what are we looking at to kind of bring about a solution to this issue because i feel like it's an issue that thankfully thanks to to folks like you are being brought to the forefront of the debate but i feel like we need to action this in some way for sure uh and i think about that a lot and i've done certain diversity trainings with organizations recently uh When it comes to hockey, as we all know, it's quite expensive. Uh, It's very quickly a a four-figure endeavor, potentially five, 
figures where $10,000 is the minimum that you'll pay if you factor in equipment and, and things like that. Um, to me, a big key is, is the role models stepping up. And a lot of people have, have um, sort of thrown praise and very, very warranted to Akeem Aliou and Evander Kane and Dumba. Those guys are, are worthy of every uh, word that they get. They, they've done phenomenal work. I think the NHL should be thanking them for everything that they're doing. But it shouldn't just be them. Think about how silent Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid have been during all of this. And I've gotten. Are you, are you saying retweeting somebody isn't enough? Believe it or not, there, there's got to be a couple of more vocal cords that move on the part of the sports. I'm clearly game. being sarcastic and oh. people don't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I'm just, okay. I, I want, I, I agree. Like uh, what are the paths for there's, there's clearly like, I think, I think to me a big chunk of it relies on, on the kids who, whose poster who have posters of these players adorning their bedroom walls. You know, the fact of the matter is that Sydney and Connor who I've never really interacted with. I have nothing personal against them at all. You know, whatever relationships I've, I've had with all players, it's been professional. So there's no sort of grudging or anything, but the fact is that those two did not, we're not proactive at all. When these questions first came up mid November of last year, when Akeem tweeted, I asked a lot of players, including Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid through their PR people for through the team PR, if they'd speak and I got rejected by a lot of them. So I think the big, a big element of this is the players and the white players being more vocal and being very strong in saying that the sport is for everyone. The sport has a lot of room to grow and we have to make it a welcoming environment for, for everyone. I, I, and to this, to this point, like it's up to star players to really kind of like step in and, and do their thing. Right. And, and kind of be like visibly an ally to, to the advancement of certain players. As much as we want to like hate on him for the Montreal Canadian, Jonathan Drouin was big in quelling a lot of the, I, I feel like unwarranted anger towards a guy like Anthony Duclair when they were playing in, in Lex and Louis, they were teammates, right? Like these were guys that grew up together and Jonathan Drouin would have none of it when it came to dealing with all the hecklers that had to deal with, with Duclair. And I feel like, you know, like here's a prime example. Here's an athlete and I'm not pointing the finger at him. There are ton, there are 700 players at a given time in the NHL that can say something. But here is a guy who has shown precedence in stepping up and saying, no, that is not acceptable in, in the environment that we are trying to build. There are more players, more and more, that are doing this. And I think the one thing that boggled, like, there is change and there is PR. Change is what, as you said, Aliou, uh, Kane, uh, a lot of other players around the league are trying to push forward. And then there is Quinton Byfield is the highest black drafted player, black, sorry, drafted player of, of African-American origin in the NHL as their PR states. There, there's two ways of doing this. There is being a role model and affecting change, and there is noting change. 
I feel like we need to be on the other side here. We need to be affecting change. We don't need to be looking at it and being like, oh, isn't that cool? Doesn't that make us more inclusive? No. I feel like we should be utilizing these stakeholders. We should be calling on these organizations to further promote the notion that hockey is inclusive. If you sit down and talk to the Timbits that play in Canada right now, and, and, and you know, AJ's giggling, but like legit, if you sit down and talk to the Timbits today, there is probably like, I, and, and I have because I've been around those circles. There is little to no digression on this notion. Hockey is for everyone. So clearly, the issue lies at the competitive level. And so once we're getting to the competitive level, why is this happening? Is it the parents? Is it the organization? Is it the league in and of its own? Is it scouts? So I think a conversation needs to be had. Because ultimately, there, there wouldn't be an audience for what Salim is brilliantly doing if this wasn't a systemic issue. Okay, so this is all fair. And I, I understand that um, when we, especially when you contextualize it, I'm going to contextualize this right now, this question. So Mitchell was harassing him since he was seven. He would call him the N-word and brownie. He made him eat a lollipop out of a urinal. The judge in the statement of juvenile court said he did not show empathy. Uh, he still has not apologized to the family, not to our knowledge publicly. Uh, rollerbladed past the house to taunt the, the kid. This is all a lot. And so I'm not going to ask this question in relation to Mitchell. But generally, there is a reality where kids do crazy, horrible things to each other or to themselves. And I'm asking... Not in this case, because I don't think there is a way in this case. In fact, I don't think, to be honest, just based on the fact that he's from the fourth round, I don't think he's ever going to hit NHL ice, let alone any ice. But is there a path forward, Salim, in your view, that you could see somebody who comes from a similar background, maybe less so because there's so much here, but is there a path where they could show empathy and remorse that they could they could actually fix things in, their, in this respect? Is there... Because... Uh, you're a fellow minority like myself, and I'm sure you have an, a, an opinion. I have mine, but I'm interested to hear what you think about this. Yeah, there is. I don't. I don't believe in the notion of zero tolerance policies. I don't. I don't think that that Mitchell Millers of the world should be motivated solely by the notion that if you do this, your childhood dreams will be dashed. So don't do it. Um, I. I. I mean, I got. I got. I was raised in a family where corporal punishment was a pretty real thing. And, um, and I think there are similar parallels to this where you're motivated not to do something by negative repercussions, which um, I, I, I think it's dangerous to say, you, you know, people who screw up are, are ostracized forever. And as grotesque as what Mitchell Miller has done me as a minority and me as someone who takes these issues seriously and reports about them, I'd be open to having that person come back. And it's like, it's like the issue between the American prison system and the Scandinavian prison system, where one is all about incarceration and you make sure you learn your lesson. And if that's in solitary confinement, then so be it. As long as you just reflect and reflect, 
Whereas the, the Scandinavian system is about rehabilitation. It's about learning new ideas, learning new ways and patterns of doing things and becoming a healthier person. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's, that's working with minority youth who play the sport. Maybe it's Mitchell, uh, going to like counseling, whatever it is, you'd like to think that people of any age, uh, have an opportunity for redemption and to learn and adapt and grow. And maybe that applies a bit more to someone who like AJ, you said was a child when he did this. And we've all, we, 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 we've all not done the stuff that Mitchell's done, but there should be an opportunity for rehab and for, for genuine growth from what we all have read that did not happen in, and lots of people have said he didn't show remorse or anything, but that option I think should still be on the table. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, like he was a minor, right? Like that's that, like, I keep bringing that up because in Canada, for example, none of this would have been revealed because the uh, juvie court would have been sealed records. It would have never been public. The fact of the matter is, in fact, most likely his records, if it, if they just skated along for a couple of weeks, he may have even like not, this might have never come to light in any way. I, that being said, it's pretty telling. Yeah, I'll go. I have I have a a question for Salim actually. So we 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 touched on the player, what he did, um, the rehab he should be getting in the future. Uh, I want your opinion on on the flip side of it, the fact that you have um, an NHL franchise drafting the player after knowing what he did in the past right what does what does it say about not only the team but maybe even the league as a whole like we touched on the the, the whole uh, diversity alliance that was started by players right it's not the league it's the players that acted upon um so i i want your opinion on what this says about the organization the coyotes and maybe the league as a whole great great question i think it says Look, we, I don't think it says anything specific about hockey. We saw, we, we all saw the pictures of Ray Rice when he, when he uppercutted his, his partner. And I think NFL teams still showed interest after that. I don't think he ever played it down again, but sports has shown time and time again, that regardless of what you do, you, you, you know, OJ Simpson, uh, another example of that, where if regardless of what you do, there will be interest if you're talented enough. And I think this is sort of an example of that for the Coyotes where clearly they saw a player that was falling and, and was worth the draft pick. I'm sure that they did crisis PR planning and I highly doubt that any of this is a big surprise to them. I'm sure that they, they anticipate that they'll get questions when their general manager uh, talks to the media again. And when, when the owner, the first media availability, actually, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't have a ton of faith. This is the same organization that that flaunted the fact that they had the first Mexican owner within the NHL, not two months prior. So that right, but how powerful would that message be coming from the owner on this situation? Why have they right? Why is it mum on the word and forcing the GM who had nothing to do with the entire process of amateur scouting per like the, the 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 clauses in his contract coming over from st louis why not go directly to the source wouldn't it have more power 
coming from the president, especially knowing that he himself is an individual coming from a minority group. I feel like this is an opportune time. Display leadership. Display change. I'm, I'm... We should stop giving the NHL and their ownership and the staff members that staff this league any more leeway. Enough is enough. Honestly, no, on, no, no, this is bullshit. Like, we're always looking for, like, excuses to say, why didn't they, they always like, oh, this, it's clear. When the numbers show up, they will keep hiring people that are racist, that are wife beaters, that are people that are despicable people, because they know it's just a media storm they have to weather, and in a 24-7 second news cycle. So I have a question for you all, and this is a bit of an imperfect one because it's tough to, to measure. What in the long run will do more damage to the National Hockey League? This element of uh, this cultural reckoning where the sport's being revealed as having a toxic, masculine, racist culture? Or will COVID have a, a worse effect on the sport long term? Racism. So I feel like that's a worthwhile question. I know AJ is quick to say racism. And that's key because I believe that that's an issue. But I feel like what COVID is going to do is it's going to further exacerbate the economic disparity at the grassroots level of the sport as well. Understand where I'm coming from on this point. We are talking about a virus that is exacerbating the economic elasticity of the lower to mid class. Right? Like, this is going to pull a lot of kids out of hockey if it's not for Hockey Canada's initiatives. So, it's going to further accentuate the point that the economically wealthy are going to be continuing to play this sport. That can be problematic in perpetuating the notion of ethnic, you know, diversity within the sport as well at least from a canadian perspective or a north american perspective we can go into europe as well so covid is a serious issue on that end because it exposes what it, what we already know however i feel like from a narrative perspective and i feel like from a an executive perspective the way the the league's board will look at this I feel like this situation has more of a of, of a potential impact on where things can go. There are inst there are instances where you can provide workshops, talk groups, press conferences. You can create a tour out of this. You can create organizations out of this. You can create focus groups out of this. There is ample opportunity for growth in this situation the reason why we keep coming back to this issue every time from a narrative perspective and the reason why salim continues to put out great article after great article after great article is simply because not enough is being done we are putting the cover over an issue we are not settling an issue we are not putting a key in a keyhole and opening the door to the very nasty reality of the situation we are simply putting a brick wall over it and i think that's what we need to do is continue to have these conversations and quell the notion of consistently having to 
support each other, even in the wrong. It's okay to be wrong. It's just better to be better. Okay, so I get the the inequality, income inequality argument. We have made it's a qual- an argument I've made multiple times over multiple years, and I'm on record on this. And I think it's one of the biggest obstacles in hockey. That being said, racism is a bigger issue. With all due respect, take a look at your demographics. Essentially, what people view hockey is is just polo on ice. Rich people, rich kids who have been given an opportunity and are given economic benefits to rise ahead. It's not enough to just put up a banner during the playoffs that says Black Lives Matter. Like, it's not good enough any longer. And it's it's pathetic to me that I see constantly in this in this league and, and in this sport, people defend the worst of actions. Right, like I, again, we're having this. I'll, I'll give, I get, let you guys give your thoughts. I, Adam, I should pull you. What do you think on the idea of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, learning to become better for yourself, and oh, on like the re- the rehabilitation versus punishment aspect? Because I, I would, I, I really like to hear your thoughts actually on that. Like, I, I agree with with what Salim said earlier. Like everyone gets a should be getting a second chance if they if they work towards improving, right? who they are but like we're talking about someone that's 18 years old he the actions he's done were done like four years ago i think they were done when he was 14 or so it's not it's not like someone that's older that's been doing like it's not that big of a gap right four years has the player has the person really changed in four years i don't know that's that's up to him to prove i guess but yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So, no, okay. So, so again, you guys have brought up the idea of chances, right? And I think that's a very interesting aspect. But what do you define as chance? Because a chance can be, have you shown to grow as a human being? Have you shown to grow, recognize your errors? Have you learned to be a better person? But also a chance can mean playing at a D1 institution. This is a prestigious school. And the reality at the end of the day, and like, I'm a dumbass and I know that UND is a big thing, right? So that's a, that's a, that's a reality check for most people. Like, how is it to me that UND, that uh, the Arizona Coyotes, both of organizations that knew that this was an issue, they most certainly passed on other players onto their rosters. They chose to pass that. To be fair, like, there were players that I was, like, flipping out that the Canadians were passing over in the fourth round. So, like, yes, there were clear better players available. Um, Now, in terms of what is a second chance, I think, AJ, I, look. Second chances, go be a banker. You don't have to be on ice. We this is the sport you as you've all have identified, there is more to the sport than just being an athlete on the ice. You are a role model in your community. Slim, you talked about earlier about the posters on the wall. This guy could potentially have a poster. Very yeah, unlikely. But there are other people in this sport that definitely have posters on kids' walls that are absolutely racist. For sure, for sure. And I think people I've, I've- like, I don't think if people are debating whether we should tear down the John A. McDonald statue for his racist actions. I don't see why we should have a debate about tearing down a racist player's poster. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And people will be surprised about the whispers that I've heard of people prominent in the sport who are very visible that have similar such track records of saying things. Um, you're right. Chances, maybe, maybe. And it's- Define chance. That's all I'm asking. That's a good, lots of existential questions today, but it's... Well, like, I don't think the chance 
like if the player if the person's been trying to be get better before getting drafted sure i don't think now it should start once he's drafted once he has something to lose right am i am i going crazy or or yeah no and and adam to to your degree like reparations as a scientific notion requires three fundamental things and that is display of sorry like significant growth and a functional plan in order to disp- to, to to disprove and 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 punish that act moving forward this is how reparations work at the un level so this is how reparations are going to work from a socio-political level in this sport that's how it's going to happen so what do we do how do we go about bringing about change and it's about education it's about bringing about content in the form of media in the form of journalism as i point to my buddy salim think of coaches in around in your life were they community leaders? Did they try to impart community values? Did they talk about, did, did, were they volunteering? Were they taking of their time to show you that you should be a better person? Yeah, yeah. Like, like my dad, my dad would just kick my ass on the field, but he was all of those things in the community. Like, he was great in the sense that he would go out. But of his nobody way and, stepped and up at any of that time to say, give this racist bully the boot. Exactly. My dad kicked off two players on our team. In, in the time that I grew up, rhetoric and behavior that was unbecoming of a society that had moved beyond those uh, paradigms. And I felt like he, at a time where, like, this, my dad was, you know, born in Italy, raised in Canada. He dealt with racism in and of himself, as, you know, as many people won't understand that because we assume that racism is tied to color or religion today. It wasn't so the case 40, 50 years ago when it, it also depended on what type of white you were. So my dad was very kind of understanding to that kind of plight. And so that was quelled instantly. That was like, the door is there, buddy. There is no chance for you. There is no reparation possible. You make a comment like that, you can't possibly gain the trust of your teammates again. There's the door. And, you know, this is competitive. You know, this was competitive sport. It wasn't even an option for my father. And I feel like... You know, we talk about this and we are enraged and AJ deserves to be enraged. But what I appreciate, and I feel like the this is something that needs to be done, is that yes, we can talk about the shortcomings of individuals in um, more preferential situations, be they financially, economically, socially. But there is also the positive influence of those that don't and that are making a difference. And I feel like that is content that everybody wants to hear about is the difference that people are making at the grassroots level to just quell that stuff out. And 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 in there is no better individual than the individual that in my window is sitting to my bottom left. And and and, and it, it it speaks credit. Like I I specifically had to like subscribe to the New York Times because I wanted to read these articles. And it speaks to the quality of the content when you are able to bring about 
a direct narrative direction from a grassroots movement to a an amateur hockey background to a professional scenario. There is so much that goes through the development of an athlete from A to B to C that to encapsulate that within an article or to encapsulate that within a, a, a series of articles and then enact change takes a ridiculous amount of concentration, discipline, and know-how. And I just, again, to your credit, it, it exposes the necessary issues within the sport that need to be addressed, that need to be quashed, and need to grow. And, and, and without individuals that are willing to stick their neck out and, and go against the grain and, and really poke a dormant bear that is consistently wanting to go back to sleep in the NHL. Uh, I feel like for the first time in a long time, here we are having a conversation that is both nurturing and constructive. And I feel like it's due to journalists like Salem that are bringing about this conversation. And even players are showing that they appreciate the fact that you're bringing about this conversation. So to me, as, an, as, a, as, as the son of an immigrant, like I feel you, I appreciate you, and I want you to continue to do that because that is how we are going to mitigate and limit in, in situations like this. For sure, and in Welby, I'm 99% sure formal soon I'll, I'll get to do that and bring those perspectives a lot more than i do and i'm excited to to have that responsibility and to to embrace uh embrace that i think um what was i gonna say? but yeah there are lots of great groups that are that are promoting hockey as well up in hockey in in uh calgary is one group um there's there's uh hockey for youth another one that's based out east so there are places like that, and there are lots of others as well. And no, but Apna Hockey is fantastic. Like there, there not not enough is said about Apna Hockey because it's a bunch of brown people on ice. More so I, I've known the guy who one of their co-founders, Lolly. I used to work at the Hollister Abercrombie store in West Edmonton Mall when I was fifteen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Abercrombie's founder for a long time didn't do very very good things, but. That's how I met uh, Lolly, who was my age, and now he's done some pretty amazing things with Abna Hockey, and him and Dampy Brar have done. Um, uh, the, again, the NHL owes them a debt of gratitude for how many kids that they've introduced to the sport. So yeah, there are definitely positive stories in that sense, and uh, it'll be great to, to share those more. Uh, and in an ideal world, you don't need journalists, right? In an ideal world, things like racism just don't exist, or, you know, and it shouldn't be... I, I'm surprised the NHL has moved as slow as it has you know we've known hockey is predominantly white we've always known that that's and i think for a long time it was looked at as sort of a curiosity more than anything and now people are starting to realize that this isn't good that 95 percent of national hockey league players since 1989 have been white and that number really hasn't changed season to season and what's being done and what do we have to do more so in an ideal world you wouldn't need people like me but but um you know, that's the job of a journalist to, to, to hold things to account and to be objective, you know, and, and say things unvarnished and for what they are. I think it needs to happen. Look, it's 
It, this would not be behavior that would be acceptable in a public place, in a private place, in the workplace. And so to me, I think that it you, you need to coalesce that. It needs to be consolidated into a, a means of having a conversation. But I do want to, I, I, and I guess this will be my last point on the, on the subject, I do also want to be not the bad guy, but the devil's advocate in saying that there is opportunity for growth. Human beings are sentient creatures that are able to grow. I know that it's easy to say that people never learn or an old dog doesn't learn new tricks. But to be completely honest with you, that is a load, uh, to quote Joe Biden, that is a quote, that is a load of malarkey. You know, like that is just nonsense. People can grow. People can grow if they're put in a position or they're promoted to learn or to grow from that situation. So if we stop looking at this from an accusatory perspective and bring in the very inclusiveness that we're looking to promote in saying, hey, you've harmed us. You've harmed us as a people. You've harmed this individual as, a, as an individual. Do something about it. And once that individual does something about it, and I mean tangibly does something about it. I don't mean a press conference. I don't mean having his agent draft a letter. I don't mean having your organization make a video at the beginning of the season opener. I mean tangibly do something and then it's up to those individuals and it's up to those communities to also turn around and engage. And that's that. That's the other conversation needs to be had. I feel like we also need to engage those communities to voice their opinions, to display who their heroes are, and to be part of the conversation. Because right now what I feel like is that it's the same people that are pushing the conversation, which are, you know, essentially, you know, people in, in, in positions of power or journalists that either are predominantly white or in, in, in our case, we have Salim, which is great. But at the same time, we also need to have those community groups rise up and say, that's not right. What you did is wrong. However, what you've done since has shown growth and we do appreciate that. And we're gonna work with you to make sure that doesn't happen again with other grassroots movements. And this is something that I personally have witnessed uh, in my time looking at the, the Timbits uh, kind of organization and in the greater Halifax region, they had a lot of these issues. And I remember one guy that did not stand for any of it was Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon did not stand for any of this in the Timbit regions in the greater Halifax region. A lot of his teammates were teammates of color. I remember because my stepbrother played with him. And this is an individual that could not take any of it. If there was any form, he'd walk off the ice. And this is the best player on the team, so you best follow. So immediately reparations were taken care of. And this is what we're talking about. You know, you mentioned Crosby, you mentioned McDavid. These are players that need to step up, step up, not only um, just to represent themselves, but in partnership with these communities that want to partake in hockey, that show a desire to partake in hockey, because quite frankly, it's in the economic 
interests of this league to expand their game, but it's also on the social conscience of this league to continue to maintain itself in an orderly fashion. My opinion. I just ultimately at this point in time, this league has consistently been resistant to change. French Canadians have had the same issue in the 40s and the 50s during the Quiet Revolution. We had the same kind of issues, very sensible issues during the fall of, of the Iron Curtain in Europe during the 80s and the 90s. Remember the Stasny brothers and how they were treating Quebec City at first. Um, we look at the way that Europeans were viewed in the 90s when they first really started coming in, 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 in waves. Uh, due to the falling iron curtain and the opening of the draft. It's, I feel like it's cyclical and I feel like this is the issue we have to handle, but we have the platform for it now. We have the people in place to push it, pointing again to my boy on the bottom left. It's, this is the time. We have the platform, we have the means, we have the knowledge, we have the allies. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, are you serious? Okay, I got a fire alarm. All right, AJ, cut it literally at that point. Yeah, I guess I gotta sign off then. You can't even make this. Oh uh, yeah, show. so last thoughts. Go, go ahead. Just, just, just I can it. edit it out. That's just say what your last thoughts. No, 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 AJ, you gotta go. My, you gotta go. Last, let him uh, sign my off. last podcast of uh, of saying yes to everything. So um, if I, I should probably go. Um, uh, anyway, I want to apologize because I got really passionate out there and I cut you off several times. Oh, so I apology, okay. apologies on or in order yeah, for that uh, because should the day come where I come back on, it'll be a a new a new time, new city, new new situation. There'll be lots of news. Um, Open invitation anytime. Thanks so much, AJ, Adam, Marco. Hope to see you soon. Um, Dude, if you're back in these Montreal, fire inches towards apartment two two four. À la prochaine. Our thanks to Salim Valji for participating and leading us through this discussion on racism in hockey, an unfortunate reality that we all face, and racism is a reality that we face in our world. I hope you learned something. If you feel, like I said before at the start of the episode, obliged, I highly recommend that you seek out the resources and support groups. There's simply a Google search away. That's it for the Hockey Flow. We'll be back with more next week. 